Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with your host, Dr. Veerja Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerja Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerja Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. And we are continuing our conversations around resilience, strength, healing, um, and learning. And I'm excited about this conversation. As I posted on social media, uh, actually today, Anytime that I can sit in the space with a fellow educator that has very like passion um, to mine and is truly committed to doing the work of creating safe, equitable, affirming spaces um, for marginalized children, um, specifically black and brown children. It is an exciting conversation. And so I'm excited to welcome to the flip side of adversity, Bridget Hitchens. She is an educator, social worker, and advocate with over 20 years of experience empowering youth and the leaders who nurture them. She is a people first results-oriented leader whose strength lies in taking big goals and operational operationalizing them. Her passion actually lies in empowering others and strengthening the village. Maggie's Village LLC was born at the intersection where her skills and passion meet. She actually has the privilege of doing her heart work. Bridget has worked with a range of organizations and schools creating and delivering programs that educate, inspire, connect, and heal. As an executive leadership coach, she supports leaders with strategic planning, building affirming team culture, developing equitable family engagement leadership initiatives, and creating organization-wide systems that support the culture race and unique gifts of youth staff and it's an opportunity for them to connect to wellness in a supportive structure so i'm excited to talk about because i feel like if there's anything that educators could benefit from in this conversation it is an opportunity to connect heal learn and build. So welcome to the conversation, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love like you, any opportunity to talk about this and to uplift the beautiful work that educators are doing and the context that they have to do it in now and how we can support them. So I'm excited. Thank you. Oh, yes. And you know what? So let's even just jump right in there. Um, the statement you just made, the climate that educators have to work in right now um, is hard for so many different reasons. And you wanted to entitle or focus this conversation around the power of the village. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about 
what is happening in education, both from the student side as well as the educator side, why center on this this term, the village? Yeah, because one of the things that I believe both from my lived experience and in my work with leaders and students and educators is that this is collective work. Like too often we are given definitions of success that are reliant on your individual skills or your individual abilities. And it's not that those things are not important, but the real work comes when we can put our strengths and connect them with the strengths of others. And when we have heavy burdens, we don't have to carry them alone. And right now, there are a lot of things about education that can feel burdensome, even though the work is rewarding, even though it is necessary. Collectively, we have all that we need. But if we don't see that and we feel like we have to carry it all on our back, then the ability to be able to shift the situation and the narrative um, kind of disappears. And so it really does take a village because we were we were designed to do things in community and our strengths are designed to be connected with those of others. And, you know, there I literally had this conversation earlier with an administrator, the art or the environment of teaching often has been about what's happening in my classroom when I close the door, my approaches, my, and it can be such an isolating space. Oftentimes in the past, it has be, been become, this is my domain. This is how I do things. But now in this season, how is, how is it different? Why is it so important? Because it's so different that closing that door and having your domain it's actually being counterproductive for you. One, because it's not sustainable. It's too heavy to carry alone. And oftentimes, you know, depending on the environment in a particular school, sometimes what teachers are doing is not necessarily trying to do it on their own. They're trying to protect themselves and protect their kids. And so sometimes it's like you stay, it's crazy out there. In here, though, we are creating this safe space. And so they create like little micro villages with their kids. But, but, but if they have to do it on their own and they are the ones that are pouring and pouring and they never have a chance to be poured into, then their ability to be able to sustain this really important work disappears. And so, yes, you know, yes, sometimes it is like, I got this, I want to be in control, but sometimes it's like, I want to protect what's sacred, but they all, they also have to find places to be poured into, um, even if that village can't exist in their building. And why would you say a village, this concept of the village is particularly important for black and brown children? One, because... um it's what our ancestors did. We have a blueprint um, in terms of coming together and relying on each other. We know what we were kind of built for. And so we get to tap into our legacy of doing that. But also um, a lot of uh, black and brown teachers and students are under attack. When you think about the attacks on um, the learning of history and how it's taught, um, that doesn't only affect children. It affects the adults and 
And so, and adults have to wear these two hats. So black educators, um, even if you think about like anytime there is something that's happening in the news that you know are impacting um, emotionally or physically black people, Black teachers have to go in and be there for their students, but they also have to deal with how those harms and those negative stories are impacting them. And so when we think about uh, what does it mean to uh, support and connect, if they are important to, it's to students, then they also have to find a place. Well, where do I go to heal? Where do I go to be angry? Where Because if I need to be strong for you, where do I get a chance to put down my strength and just be human, to be in my my softness or my anger or my rage, and then be able to come of that and be productive. Like you need to be able to experience the full humanity of who you are as a person to be able to do this job well. And unfortunately, there are a lot of systems that make that almost impossible to live in your full humanity and to be successful in that system. And until we get to the place where we can start dismantling these systems, we have to find ways to um, fulfill ourselves so that we can sustain in the movement. So I, I guess I want to lean in for a moment and ask a question because the 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 show is international, um, and so we're actually talking uh, about something that is um, tied to American systems. And as I think about some of my clients that are trying to do this work very intentionally, but they may not have the same lived experience as their Black educators, colleagues, or the students that they're trying to better connect to. If you're not Black or Brown, can you relate to this concept of village? You can. It's just that if you aren't Black or Brown, you just can't center yourself. Um, the reality of the village is it's about the collective work and it is about the community. Um, too often when people feel like they aren't a part of the village, they do a lot of work to like prove that I deserve to be here or take offense because it doesn't um, look like me or it doesn't um, center what is important to me. And when you do that, you weaken the space. So if you can enter a space in this space of not that I'm coming to be a savior to come and save the day, but I want to connect with people. I want to learn what is needed and I want to find out where I can fit into the space that will serve the community I'm trying to serve well, then yes. And in a lot of spaces, you will be welcome into that. You also have to acknowledge that there is affinity spaces need to happen. And that's for everyone. Like white people, particularly those who work with black children, they should have their own affinity spaces too. And as long as you don't see a black people gathering and communing in affinity, as offense to you and as a way to exclude you, but as a way for them to be able to uh, build themselves up and pour and pour into each other so they could come back and then stand alongside you and do this work more, then you are in the right mindset to be able to engage in this work with them. If you make it about yourself, if you see every action that someone else is taking and say, why not me? Or why can't I be concluded? Or why doesn't my voice matter in this particular moment right now? you are doing more harm than good and your intentions aren't really about strengthening the village. Yes. And actually seeing other people and allowing your heart to be humble enough and recognize I don't have their lived experience. So why not 
brought in my perspective, my understanding by being humble in this moment instead of trying to overtake it, be afraid of it, or even in some cases, push it away or push it out. Oh, absolutely. So powerful. So powerful. Yeah. So part of you it is have being like a so- lifelong learner. So if you are here to learn, then learn, 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 learn. And yeah, I'm with you. Go ahead. That, but that can be a really vulnerable place for educators, which oftentimes, because in many spaces, um, they're the person with the answer, it becomes really difficult to not have the answer. Or oftentimes we talk about in our coaching sessions with Living Strong con- um, clients that you don't have to rescue this moment. Like you don't have to reassure, you don't have to explain, you don't have to story steal and you don't have to solve. Actually kind of sit in the space that is uncomfortable for you. But if you lean into it, it may broaden your awareness and develop your skill set to actually see one another in new, rich, amazing ways. Yeah. Uh, You've been so committed to the word village that your organization (laughs) is called Maggie's Village. So tell us a little bit about the name, where the name come from. Why have you named your organization Maggie's Village? Yeah. So before I get into like Maggie and people often like, who's Maggie? Your name not Maggie. Uh, One thing that's important to know is that the other thing that I center is our legacy and our ancestors. And when I was coming together for and deciding a name for my business, I wanted it to reflect the fact that we are not starting from scratch. And so I wanted to find an ancestor who reflected the values that I have. And so uh, I started to learn the story of Maggie Lena Walker. And Maggie Lena Walker was about community. Maggie Lena Walker was, we can do this. We have what we need right here. She was in the Jackson War community and in Virginia, and she uh, was the first, her, her most notable accomplishment is that she was the first woman to be the president of a bank. Not the first black woman, the first woman. And this was at a time where women were not even allowed to have checking accounts without their husbands. And she was the president of a whole bank, but she also started a newspaper. She also started a department store. It was, okay, so we're in this place and we have to fight to get into banks to get loans. We They overcharge us when we go to their stores. Let's build our own and let's bring all of our resources together. So now you could come here, you come to this department store and get a job and you come to this apartment store and buy things that you can afford that speaks to you to people who will respect you when you walk in and so you create this community where you live in a world where people are trying to tell you that you don't matter and that you you can't live up to a certain standard it's like oh no no we could do this and so she led the charge and to do that as a woman in a time where women were definitely um in a place where they weren't seen as equal to men. And then a black woman at that just spoke volumes to me. And so by having her name as a part of my business name reminds me of the power of convening our resources. And so I am, we are standing on the shoulders of ancestors like Maggie. And so I wanted to honor her in the name of my business and the legacy that she left behind. There's so many things that absolutely triggered me as you were just talking, um, thinking about 
many of um, the Philadelphia schools and um, experiences that children are having here. I know you're not in Philly, but I'm having my own personal moment. So I think about how the cycle of not feeling safe, not feeling like you belong, not feeling heard, um, and continuing a cycle of, of just brokenness, how that can have you spiral into losing track of the fact that you actually do have power and begin to operate from a place of helplessness and hopelessness. And can you give some thoughts or feedback on where and how can educators, how can they support that rebuilding, that restoring, that healing process? Yeah, I think part of it is that if the only examples you have of people who look like you um, are all negative, you need counter examples. And so part of it is to acknowledge the feelings and where students are coming from and how they got there. Oftentimes or too often, we will um, demean them. We say, we try to use what we call tough love, but it's a little bit more tough than it is love. And so we really have to validate the feelings and experiences. We have to make sure that we are taking advantage of opportunities to say, this is is a truth that you have been shown. It is such a small portion of the full truth. Let me show you more of the full truth. Let me show you the legacy from which you come. And let me tell you why people are trying to hide that legacy from you because it empowers you. And I think that's not just for students. I think that's for teachers as well. For Black educators, what I often say is we need to learn the legacy of Black educators. We're not new to this. I, uh, I'm going to take us off topic for a little bit. So make sure I come back to it. I, um, am in, I sit in this group of women educators and we get to sit at the feet of elders and learn from their lessons, um, Black um, educators. And so it's so funny that like in this time of all the things that we're facing in terms of the attack on Black education and Black history, and there's like this angst amongst the young people. And I don't know if I could consider myself young anymore, but I'm gonna put myself in the young people category for this <laughs> conversation. Um, and just like, oh my goodness, what are going to do? And when they talk about it, there is so much calm and resolve. Because we've been here before. We got the tactics. We've seen this before. It's time to mount up. We're going to use the resources and the tools we have. And that to be able to see someone with that kind of like calmness and resolute calms me. It's like, that's right. That's right. We haven't done this before. Oh, and then they just start naming names of like, at one point they didn't want us educated at all. And so we found a way. And so we will always do that. When we know what our legacy is, then we can remember that the stories that you are telling me are not true. But if all I here is all stories and the only the visuals I see aligned to that and I live in a community where multiple people are, are experiencing this, then it feels like a shared experience, but it's a siloed one. And I actually didn't realize that 
until I left home because I grew up in a very black affirming space. And at the time it was just life. It was just living. And it wasn't until I left that space and I experienced young people who didn't have it. It was, I was an adult. The first time I met young people who associated being black with something negative. And I was like, who taught you that? And so it took a while for me to then go back and look at my own story. It's like, well, where did, where did I learn this? Cause I, remember anybody throwing up any, you know, black power fist or anything when I was younger, how did I get so settled in this? But it was because I lived in black neighborhoods. They were homeowners. I, my mom only bought me black baby dolls. My doctors and dentists were black. And yes, there were other neighborhoods that didn't look like mine. And I had other family members who lived in neighborhoods that didn't look like mine, but it was like the full spectrum of humanity versus having, when you look at blackness, you only get to see the ones who um, have been impacted by the system in these harmful ways. And when you look at non-Blackness, you get to see the ones who benefit. You never get to see the non-Blackness when it's related to struggle or poverty. And so then you just think that the difference is black and white, when in essence, there are so many factors that lean into that. And if you don't know those stories and if you can't see it and can't experience it, then how do you know that it's possible for you? Right. And you've created a framework that you call Connect, Heal, Learn, and Build. And I feel like there's going to be some meat in not only the Black educators, but um, the non-Black educators and administrators who are listening that could begin to give them some stepping stones to support transformation and and a process and a journey that's intentional. So tell us a little bit about your your framework. Absolutely. Um, One, I like to say that it is holistic and it's not linear. I'm going to talk about it in a linear way, but the reality of it is it's not linear. It really is understanding that in order for people to show up in any space in their full humanity and to really tap into the power of the village. These are the like steps and processes that go along the way. And so first we start with connect because we do believe our individual successes are tied to our collective success. So we bring people together so that we can benefit from the combined brilliance and reach collective goals. Then we also make sure that we prioritize wellness. And so we create spaces to refuel and to heal, to heal from the burnout, to heal from the stress, to heal from the impact of oppressive of systems. And then we also have to acknowledge in these spaces that we create of safety, that yo, I might've been part of the problem and it is safe. And when we are dealing in our healing, we have to acknowledge that like, I could only do what I've learned. And if what I've learned was harmful, I have to heal from the pain that I feel in their recognition, but I also have to be safe enough to be able to build from that. And so then we go into the learning platform and that is like, we are lifelong learners and there are multiple ways that we can learn. There are multiple places and people that we can learn from. And we know that learning happens as we heal, 
but so does unlearning. And so if we have tapped into these things that we have learned and we realize that they have been harmful, that learning process includes unlearning. And we know that knowledge is actually what empowers us to make change and to build these thriving villages that we deserve. And then that's our last component is the building piece. So ultimately, we want to make sure we are looking at our whole selves. We want to make sure we are in community. We want to make sure we are gaining the knowledge, but ultimately it is so that we can build, so we can build strong families, so we can build thriving community, so we can increase capacity um, of the community, of the village, and build things that sustain so that we make sure that our children are well, we make sure that our communities are well, and that we know that we are living a legacy that is important for our futures. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the framework. Thank you for the explanation. And I want to honor the fact that sometimes we use terms and um, everyone doesn't understand them. And I think in the context, especially of you acknowledging that there's a healing as well as a learning process in the in the middle of your framework, we have a guest who's listening, who actually paused us and said, so what is an affinity group? We mentioned it, you you um, gave an example, but can you break down what is an affinity group and how can school administrators begin to use them authentically? Yes, so affinity is things that are alike. So, you know, that's it's short. Affinity means things that are alike. And so when you're talking about affinity group, it is bringing a group of people together that have something in common. And so it can be race affinity group. Um, professional learner communities are a type of affinity group because they're maybe all English teachers or they may be um, all fifth grade teachers. But in the work that we're talking about, we do racial affinity group and then we also do role affinity group. And so it may be um, educators it may be leaders, it may be, you know, principals, like leaders in different um, realms. And so one of the things we're talking about, particularly with Black educators, is like being in community with Black educators. And sometimes it's being in community with Black women educators or Black men educators and understanding that, like, even though our experience are nuanced and no individual has the exact same experience, our collective experience has lots of things in common. And so that is um, what affinity is and what it looks like. And in schools, the person who leads an affinity group needs to be of an affinity. And so in terms of those of you who are leaders in schools and are thinking about how do I have authentic affinity groups, first find out if this is something that your school, the people in your school, your teachers that they want in that space. You have to feel safe. And if people don't feel safe in their schools to like be their true authentic self and take off whatever mask they may have to wear when they're there, they're not going to trust someone coming and say like, hey, I want to do an affinity group for you because it might not feel like it's something that... um can lead to something that's good for them, or it may feel like a trap. But if you are saying, if you want this, we will create space and time so that you can have it. And then you get out of the way and let them do it. Then that is the most authentic way to say that like it is okay for you to do this. And I don't have to be in the middle of it in order for you to do it. Yes. What are some other key terms in your work that you feel 
it's almost like creating a common language in order for us to do this work well. I know affinity is one. I know affirming spaces may be another. Liberation may be another. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but because uh, I get so energized by the fact that we are that there's such a synergy in the work that we do. But what are some other key terms that you feel? especially I'm talking to leaders who might be walking in steps that they're they're operating in a place of fear and they want to actually better understand before they take the next steps. So affinity, you just broke that down. What are some other terms that you feel um, need to be understood? Um, I think knowing the difference between like equity, equal, um, anti-racist, like understanding the nuance of cultural and racial difference and how that impacts how people show up is really important if this is the work that you want to engage in, if you're willing to acknowledge that those cultural differences impact um, how people learn, teach, lead, and exist. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I cannot believe that we are already halfway through our hour already. This has been so powerful, and I want to encourage our listeners. Um, I am going to absolutely get you your questions. They're coming through as soon as we come back from this break. And as we go to break, where can people find you? What's your website address? Um, Maggie's Village LLC.com, and you can find me on all other platforms as Maggie's Village LLC. Awesome. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. What if the most special part about you was not how you fit in, but how you stood out? in a world that has never seen your kind of beauty? What if you could walk confidently in your God-given beauty, identity, and purpose? My name is Sandra Coates, and I am the founder and visionary of a movement called United and True. We want every woman to know that she is being transformed, she has been redeemed, and she is unique. I'm also an author of a newly released book called None Like Her. It is about awakening the beauty and the value that is within every woman. You see, it's time that we rise up through the confusion and the chaos and the comparison and the shame to know that there is nothing more we need to do to access the beauty that is within us. Please visit sandracoats.com for more information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. We have been having a conversation with Bridget Hitchings and she's been breaking down her framework of connect, heal, learn, and build and really walking us through um, understanding the legacy, um, the experiences, and the power um, of black and brown children and educators and communities. And with that being said, I want to ask a question that Nancy asks, can you tell me how to determine legacy and if you set legacy goals? Um, how to, I'm not sure if I understand the first one in terms of determining legacy. Is that, is that a, do you recognize it or name it? But I can, in the meantime, answer that second part about legacy goals. Um, and so I don't have a legacy smart goal, so to speak, for those of us who are familiar with smart goals, but I do want to, um, leave this place better than I found it. I do want to leave a legacy, particularly when I think about my work with Black children and Black educators. When I walk away from that work, I want people to feel affirmed and capable and to not only in their own abilities, but again, on the shoulders of giants that they stand on and to be able to continue to pave the way. Like I know that I have been able to acquire the things that I've acquired, not only because of the people in my life, but because of people who I've never met, whose names I didn't even know because they paved the way and they may not have been able to reach the place where I reach, but because they created the path, I was able to chart other paths. So I could take the choice of like, oh, this is a nice little spot you left me in. Or I can make the decision that like, I actually want to push things forward as well. So those who come behind me can do the same and feel inspired to push it forward, not just to take up the space, but also realize that they can continue to push things forward well. So when I think about my legacy, that's what I want to be true for my story. But that is so connected to some of the imagery that you spoke of earlier. I think about children who have been actually given the legacy of brokenness, of of that um, crab in the barrel kind of co um, concept. And I know for me, my passion and urgency, I, I've actually <laughs> have found myself three different times in the past three days, actually saying out loud to a group that there is too much at stake right now. And there's a sense of urgency in my soul that has me in a place that I cannot allow fear. I cannot allow um, resistance to have me shrink back. And so my legacy is one of absolutely showing up in spaces and being the person who says the thing that other people are afraid to say because it's the right thing to do for the children and the communities that are being impact, impacted. Um, and I, I often am taken, um, it impacts my heart when educators say, well, I just want to get to a place of being comfortable. 
what is what's your thoughts on that? I know I have conversation and I always have a response when people ask me to come in. I, want, I just can't we just get comfortable. I just want to get comfortable with this conversation. But I'm curious what your take is on that. Um, you mean comfortable talking about things or just comfortable um, in the, the status quo and not having to feel like they have to fight all the time? Both. <laughs> so so the first thing that came to mind to me is comfortable in the status quo. And so one of the things I think is like, if you aren't trying to disrupt the systems that you know are harmful, then you are helping to keep them in place. And so you got to make a choice. There is no neutral. And so if we think about comfort, comfort is not having to change in this in this context is not having to change and if you can say well and that goes back to being silo right if you can say well i'm just gonna sit in my classroom and i'm just gonna do right by my kids and i'm just gonna act like these other things do not exist then you are actually helping to build the system you know you are keeping the system afloat um and so i think that when we think about this term of comfort we realize that there is a lot at stake. So, you know, and I and I want to acknowledge this because um, even in the, the space that you mentioned about going in and say the, saying the things that people want, that is a place of privilege. And so we want to make sure that we're using our privilege for good, right? And so there is a place because you are in a place where you can say, I can say the things and I don't need your money. I can do, I listen, I listen, this ain't the room I need to be in. And so if you don't want me to be, I'm gonna say the things and if you don't like it, then I'm going, I'm going to keep it moving. Um, but the reality of it is not everybody's in that space. So you showing up and saying it are for those people who are not in the place of privilege that you are, but so they might not be safe enough to say it. Those people aren't comfortable either, right? They mm -hmm. just aren't in a place there's, there's more at stake for them. And so I don't want to shame the ones who can't speak up at all times, but mm -hmm. just understand like, well, where is my role? Um, Jarvis Gibbons wrote a book called Fugitive Pedagogy, and it talks about the ways that we can be, that our ancestors have, and we can continue to be subversive in how we disrupt the system. Everybody doesn't have to do it the same way. There right. are roles, and so you have to find your place, and your place may be in a place that looks quiet, but it is slowly taking the things at, at one little thread at a time, where other people are in a position where they can bring whole wrecking balls, and all of those things are needed. Yes, yes. I did a post earlier in the week um, that spoke to that bold doesn't mean that you have to be the loudest and the brash in the room. It really just means that you have to show up consistently and be passionate. And and you don't have to be the the loudest, but you do have to recognize why are you here and what wh where does your integrity lie. Um, so we have another question. Okay. So who is your client or your customer? Do you only work with black educators? No. So in my coaching business, um, the clients that I work with are any leaders that are in a place where they serve children, any children, a place where they serve families or where they trace to where they are looking to build community. So I have worked with leaders at organizations that um, meet the needs of those who are housed. I've worked with leaders in school districts of varying um, races um, and, and small nonprofits. And so I don't like my passion work is 
is for black educators and the programming that I put out that is public offerings oftentimes sits in that space um, because it is a very narrow lane that I choose to be in. And I partner with people who do work, but I also do consultant work in equity spaces um, and things like that. And so for me, um, any work that I can do that really is about strengthening the village, it is the whole village. And sometimes that work is with non-Black people who are in positions of power to make change and are interested in figuring out how. And so um, if we are aligned and they are doing the work to edify um, and uplift children and their families, then I will work alongside with them. Awesome. What recommendations do you have for Black educators and leaders who are actually feeling overwhelmed by so much that's happening inside the school, inside their classroom, and inside of them? Yeah. Get in affinity spaces. If you are in a a position, uh, particularly I'll speak to Black leaders first, Um, Heavy is the head that, weigh, that wears the crown. There is so much that you're responsible for. It's not just your students, but it's also your teachers and you serve as a covering for them. You serve as a means of inspiration and support. Hopefully you are not in a position where you are causing harm. And if you realize you do, hopefully you are doing the unlearning to undo that. But you need to get refilled. There is no trophies for burnout. Uh, we live in a society where it looks like you're, you are a commodity. Your body is a commodity and, th- and you, they will use you until it's all gone. And so it's not about saying, I will stay the latest and I will work the hardest and I will come in the earliest. It is about finding out where is my community? Where do I go to get refilled? Because I know what this is going to require of me. I know how much it is going to pull from me and it's going to strip away. I know how much sometimes I get filled by what happens with my teachers and my students, but I also need to step away. You have to get out of the trenches. You have to get in a place where you're like, okay, am I crazy? I'm not crazy, right? Like this is because, you know, because you could be in systems sometimes and you look around like, well, am I? Okay, it may be me, right? And so you need to be able to be in those spaces. You need to be, and too many of us have to wear armor. We have Mm. to wear masks. I used Mm. to say that like, I am very aware that I am swimming amongst sharks, right? And so sometimes we, we know that that is our reality. You have to have a place where you can take it off. You have to have a place where you are nurtured and you are filled and it is someone else who is taking on the responsibility of making sure that you are good. Because if you just pour and pour and pour, if you just take the the dings and dings on your armor and you never get to take it off, then you are not serving your community well because you will burn out to the point of not being. That's why so many people leave. It's not that their passion dies. It's just that it feels impossible and it is impossible alone. And so you have to find ways to connect. And if that is not in your community or is not in your school, find it virtually. You have to find ways to connect. Where are some suggestions? Where could people begin to connect? 
Yes. So I always uh, say, look, there uh, we will have some more opportunities coming in early 2024. So follow Maggie's Village LLC to see where they are. But there are a couple of organizations that I definitely want to highlight because I love the work that they do. Um, and I know that they have things immediately that you can jump into. So one of the organizations that I love is the Black Teacher Project. The Black Teacher Project is a subsidiary of the National Equity Project. They have a fellowship program for those who are interested in engaging in a two-year I mean, your two-year learning experience, um, but they also have um, one-offs. Like, for example, in November, they have a wellness convening that's just for Black educators. It's the perfect type of event to go in and be surrounded by love, to be able to be your whole full self and to pour into. So that's one organization to tap into and find out about what they're doing. They do things naturally. They nationally and they do things virtually. Another organization for those who are in the New Orleans area is um, Black Education New Orleans um, or BNOLA is what they call. They have several um, offerings, not just for those in New Orleans. Their in-person things are in New Orleans, but they have several offerings that bring Black educators together. Another organization is the Sisters of Education Circle that is for Black women educators. And that's educator and in, like if you work with children, so are you, you work in the cafeteria you work as a custodian, you are a teacher, you are a principal, you are a consultant in the educator space. If you identify as an educator and you are a Black woman, that is a great community to connect with. And then the last one I will offer is the Center for Black Educator Development. Their goal is to build a Black teacher pipeline, but they also offer convenings to bring education, I mean, to bring Black educators together. One that they also have coming up in November is specifically for Black male educators. And so if you are interested in connecting with other Black men in this educated space, which is, I think right now the, the percentage is like 2%, um, then that is a great way to connect and find others. Because if you're the only Black male in your school um, or maybe three in your district, you may have to go a little bit further to find your community. And that's a great organization to tap into. So I go out, I um, get refilled, I experience and learn, unlearn and learn. And I come back in spaces and others have not learned yet. What are some key conversation starters that educators can begin to have with leaders who may simply they're not necessarily resistors or um, combative but literally do not know or realize mm -hmm. what are some initial um, conversation starters that educators can begin to have to get the ball rolling I think you have to be able to point out to people what is happening and the impact of it, right? So if you are thinking about leaders who may be causing harm unintentionally, you have to point out the harm. You have to be able to name it. You have to do your research. And that's why that learning piece is so important because for some people, 
it feels so black and white. Like if they, if you can't make it at least a little tangible for them, then it's hard for them to tap into it. And so if that's the type of leader that you are working with, you have to do your work. You have to be able to draw the line that you see so easily to make it very plain for them. Like this thing happens. And when you do this, this happens. This is how it impacts that student, but not just this student, the students that are around them. And to be able to name that. And once you can get them in to see this like, microcosm of it, then you can start to help them see the bigger picture. And you may give them things that you they may want to read, or whether that is like a small reading or a quote or a book, and being able to think about things like that. But you have to meet people where they are. And it's not about attacking. So if you really are trying to work with someone, then you have to go in. And as a Black person, you have to acknowledge that they may say something that is going to offend you, or upset you. And so if that is the case, then you need to know that, okay, if this person is coming from a genuine place and want to learn, and they are willing to name or acknowledge and accept when you name something that they did, that it was unintentional, then you can push into that. And you can say like, okay, so this was offensive. Cause I have people when they say, I'm like, don't say that ever again. Okay. (laughs) So, so we, we, we're going to be fine. Don't ever say that again. And so so if you can start to build build spaces where it's safe for people to make mistakes, then they will be willing to grow with you. But if they are afraid to make mistakes, they will continue to make mistakes and then double down on them so they can prove that like, no, I'm a good person or no, I really want something good. But if it's safe to make mistakes and to grow from it, and that's that's what everybody, black people included, then then that is the environment that allows people to grow when you're not dealing with resistance. Sorry, resistance is something that's a little different. Yes. Yeah, so how do you um, respond to the resistors? I had this conversation um, earlier today and I had a very specific response um, because the 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 administrator was so focused on. So, well, what do we do if if um, this person or this group never comes around or what? And so what are some thoughts or strategies around if you have clear resistors within the spaces? I think it depends on the space and the position that they hold. If they are not in a position of power, you just make sure they're not in a position to stop the progress. If they are in a position of power, you find the mechanisms to remove them because the reality of it is, it is possible that you will not change everybody. And so you do have to acknowledge that and say, okay, that's fine. We're going to find a way around you. If you are trying to stop this show, you will not be in a position to do that anymore. And so that is where the collective comes in because chances are you're not going to be able to do that one-to-one. If you do, if it's one resistor and a lot of people who aren't, that resistor may feel like they're in a position of power because all of the ones are just ones and everybody is trying to go one-to-one. But if you form the collective, then you're in a position to do that. I know that's a very nuanced um, question because the situation will determine whether or not that's possible. But I do think it is something worth um, 
um, considering and thinking about like, what, what do I need to do? Do, do I, am I trying to change your mind? Do I need to move around you or do I need you to move? And, and being a, once you can determine what that is, then you can create a strategy to move in that direction. Yeah. And I just actually want to, because I, I recognize that sometimes people are trying to change somebody else's mind and, and get hung up on the, the fact that they, that you can't change somebody else. Now you can inform them, you can educate them, you can broaden their awareness, but you can't make them change. And the conversation we had was that you cannot detour what's right for all children because someone does not agree with with it philosophically because there's plenty of research on understanding the power of authentically affirming spaces as well as um, spaces that do equity with integrity. There's, pl- there's plenty of research, but you can't get detoured because you're so focused on, well, if we bring this up, that person's going to get upset, especially if if you are the person in charge, <laughs> if you are the administrator, those, those moments. Ah, oh, this has been so so powerful so so powerful hold on let me say something um so when you mentioned that like being worried about someone being uncomfortable one thing that i often say is if the choice is between you being uncomfortable and me being uncomfortable i'm gonna choose you every time (laughs) it really is a matter of um not centering people's discomfort in a way that is counterproductive to the goals that you have moving forward. It's not to say that you don't care about how people feel, but if they are dead set on staying in a place um, and not moving, then yes, you just have to let them be mad and we're going to keep it moving. You can, you can be mad and, and get in line. You don't have to do it with a smile, but if I'm a leader and this is the direction that we're going, then you go in this direction or you find another place. You could go in this direction mad. That's fine. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. You can go in that direction, man. It's all right. I love it. I love it too, Kim. Kim said, I love it. I cannot believe we are down to our last three minutes. Um, What's on the horizon for Maggie's Village? Yeah, so um, 2024, we have some programming that comes out. Well, actually, we always end our year with a virtual Kwanzaa celebration, the last six days of the year and the first day of the new year. Um, It is an affinity space for Black people, not just educators, but it is a time to come to tap into our legacy. We learn about the Kwanzaa principles and tap into the history um, of our people and how they are, how they have um lived out those principles. We also do the same thing in our own lives. Like how are we living those principles today? Um, And then we also will be relaunching our book club again um, at the beginning of next year. And we will have a few offerings that are one-off offerings for black educators. And then in 2025, we are bringing back our Bell Institute, which is a 10 month program for uh, black education leaders to go on a journey together in community um, to um, work towards building more liberatory institutions. Love it. And if I'm not a Black educator, how can I benefit from Maggie's Village um, resources, information, and connection? 
Absolutely. So if you are a leader and you are looking about, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about race, but you want to create environments for your teams that are whole, um, you can definitely reach out for a consultant. You can go on maggiesvillagellc.com um, and set up time to meet with me and we can talk about your needs um, because I really do like to build leaders. Uh, we do personal work. So if you're not work to do self-work, then don't come my way because we're going to tap inside all of my all of my clients tell me, you know, you know how to say things that if anybody else said them, they would make me bad, but it really does help me grow. And I really do want to help you grow. And so your organization grow, because what I care about is the impact that you have in the community. And if you are doing your work well and you are serving your team well, then they will be positioned to serve the community well. And that's actually what my goal is. Connect, heal, learn, and build. You have heard it here. I hope that you, um, if you didn't have paper and pen before the conversation happened, push replay and get and go grab um, those, those writing materials because the work is too important for us to stay isolated and within silos. And absolutely, the one of the guests put in the chat, there is no trophy for burnout. She said, yes, yes. <laughs> so thank you so much, Bridget. We truly appreciate you and the work that you are doing. And listeners, we will continue this conversation on resilience and healing and learning and growing. And stay with us. Same place, same time next week, right here on the flip side. See you then. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.